Hey everybody, we are super pleased to announce our new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. The goal? Power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. And the best part? Marvel Strike Force just reached its six-year anniversary, which means free stuff when you sign up via our unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. Just complete each event, and you'll receive special awards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and every week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. If we have received a unique promo code for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 311, our favorite failed game systems. we like to thank all of our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. All right, Anthony, for once... We are talking about the latest and greatest, but also the deceased and no longer with us game systems for our feature review. Yeah, yeah, this is a this is a kind of a fun topic where we we were thinking about a specific system in particular, which we'll get to later, and thinking like it kind of stinks when you you get going into one and it just cuts off on you, right? And there's you know one company in particular that we'll probably pick on a little bit because they do this a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it's so like you invest in something, you get some friends together, like, we're all going to play, this is going to be amazing. And then like a year and a half later, the company's like, now nah, we're done. Uh, so we picked a few of those. I think we have seven or eight of our favorites, and we'll run through what happened, why we think it happened, and why the developers stink for letting it happen. Oh. <laughs> so if you'd like to join us for the latest and greatest, and obviously the failed game systems, Please jump on to Twitch because Board Gamers Anonymous has its very own Twitch channel where you can jump into the chat and chat with us about all of these systems that we do do sorely miss and hopefully talk about some successes along the way. All right, Anthony. So with that said, 
Let's get on to our episode. All right. So, Anthony, for our episode this week, there's so much to talk about, a lot of stuff going on board gaming. Obviously, our listeners are chatting away over in the chat on Twitch on Board Game Arena, but we'd like to know what's going on with them outside of Board Game Arena and outside of Twitch. What's our question of the week? Uh, so the question of the week I asked, and so we're not going to dive too much into this because we're going to cover these in a minute, but what's a game or game system that was cut short or canceled by its publisher that you wish would come back? So I asked everybody that you know was on the Facebook group if they could let us know what their favorites were or least favorites. Mm -hmm. What are they most sad about? And so we got a, good, a bunch of good answers, uh, including some of the ones we're going to talk about today. But uh, some of my favorites that we didn't get to because maybe we haven't played them in particular is matt mentioned blood bowl team manager um specifically mm -hmm. saying they stopped supporting this game way before the license expired i've never played True. it but i know several people who evangelized this game loved this game wanted me to play this game wanted everybody to play this game and just never it just never hit the table for me so i i know that there's a lot of people out there who love it so i just wanted to give a shout out for that one Absolutely. Yeah, that was one, again, that I heard about a lot about and always wanted to get into it, but I've never seen it at a game store at a table. So, sad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Another one kind of in that Warhammer universe, uh, Warhammer 40k Conquest. I believe that was uh, an LCG mm -hmm. um, that kind of died the ignominious death of all LCGs. It just kind of disappeared. Oh, no. Chris mentioned Manhattan Project, Energy Empire. Of course, the reason that this kind of ground to a halt is because of the, the untimely passing of the um, founder of the company a little bit different but you know obviously just shouting out one of his favorite games it had more content coming and it kind of hasn't come and then a bunch of stuff that we're, we have on our list for later so i'm not going to run through it now because then we're just going to double up on it uh, in about 30 minutes or so but suffice it to say there's a lot there's a lot of stuff that people are missing the one thing we didn't really talk about and some people mentioned is like collectible card games so going back to the 90s and you know the star wars ccg or the star trek ccg or the original lord of the Rings ccg before it became the lcg mm -hmm. i'm with you there i have like i had like 10 of these <laughs> that i played back in the day post magic <laughs> that would be a whole separate list we could do a whole separate list probably between the two of us uh but that's not what we're we didn't really bring any of those in today um i think with one exception and uh we'll get to why sure but yeah those yeah, especially in the 90s. There was a bunch of those. Yeah, you probably remember those from the Barnes & Noble discount bins, especially after it hit like 75% and still nobody's picking that up. It's like, you invested in this, and now it's dead. Oh. <laughs> or every once in a while, you see a game on massive discount. And you're like, oh, that game's on sale. And then it's on sale there, too. And you're like, uh-huh. And then it's on sale everywhere, even your grocery store for some strange reason, because I don't know, they're just really dumping games. So there's a lot of uh, lost game souls out there and a lot of good games that never got to the table. So yeah, we'll commemorate all of those great games. But yeah, if there's a game system that you want to let us know, hit us up in the chat on Twitch. We'd love to hear from you. Got so many of you people watching out there, and we're so glad that you've joined us here this week. And again, if you'd like to join the chat, check us out. All of the social medias that are out there, we are there as well. Facebook, Twitter, BoardGamersAnonymous.com is our website, which has everything. Not to mention Instagram and basically literally every podcast player out there. So remember, this episode that you're listening to is in fact a podcast. We've been doing them for seven years and we're keep going. And there are many that are evergreen. I think we recently talked about, Anthony, you and I off mic, 
that some people were asking us about new gamer terms. Like, oh, if yeah. you're new to board gaming, how do you find out about all these kind of funky terms that we tend to use in an episode? And it turns out we did an episode on that, <laughs> yeah. like, way back when. Yep. So there are a lot of episodes. Don't just listen to the current one. Take a look at our entire catalog. It's up at BoardGamersAnonymous.com and all the different podcast players. It's not just about games, but it's also about gaming and all the people that join us at the table. All right, Anthony. So that's what's going on with us out there in the world and at the table. So with that said, let's get on to the games that we want to hit the table. Let's talk about our acquisition disorders. All righty. So I will kick things off. I'm looking at Tinner's Trail. This is oh I know this I actually missed it when this one popped up I think you mentioned it like oh are you backing Tinner's Trail and I'm like I don't know what you're talking about um, so I went back and looked at it and I was like ooh maybe maybe I will uh, this is a Martin Wallace game from 12 years ago and it was ugly as sin <laughs> like seriously go to Board Game Geek right now I should have brought up a picture of this I could drop one in while I'm talking but. <laughs> it is not a pretty game. And the original box cover in particular, I think it's been memed to, to a certain degree because, you know, it's, it's like an amateurish type thing. Not amateurish. From a design perspective, from a publishing perspective, it looks pretty amateurish. It was a game about mining in Cornwall. And it was, like I said, released 12 years ago. And it had a lot of, like, luck elements to it where you would seed the board based on mm -hmm. die rolls and you would seed the market based on die rolls. And then you'd have people kind of moving around in these different locations and they would, you know, pick things up and convert them and buy and sell. And, it, you know, it a, had a Martin Walls type of feel to it. You know, you could feel the precursor to, to brass kind of in there. This is now on Kickstarter, which is why, you know, we're talking about it right now. Obviously, we're not talking about a 12-year-old game. There it is. There's Tinner's Trail cover for you. That's, I oh, got no. that in there. <laughs> Check that one out. Isn't that pretty? Ah! <laughs> Take it away! Take it away! And there's the Get beautiful the screen, new artwork. Man. Beautiful new artwork coming for the new version of the game, thankfully. <laughs> so uh, it's on Kickstarter now, and it went from originally it was only played three and four players, and now it plays one to five. I don't know about oh. the five thing, and the two seems to like tweak the rules a little, but it has its own like solo mode, like a bot. Sure, I'm sure. All in on that. Good job, Wallace. Okay. Two new expansions, um, Arsenic and Emigration. So you can send your miners mm -hmm. overseas now, or you can poison them, apparently. They took... Ow! <laughs> what I'm saying. They find stuff in the ground. Reduced randomness. This was big. This is the one thing. I'm like, reading the original description, I'm like, I don't know that I would enjoy this. Because it seems like things could kind of randomly hit the map in a certain way, and it benefits some players more than others. So there's variability, but now the board is set up with tiles instead of dice. So they're balanced. So that, that seems a lot more interesting. They've improved the auction system, so it had an auction, obviously, but now there's dual-use cards that are more important at the game, so it's Martin Wallace game and these cards. And mm -hmm. obviously, the big, big one here is an improvement to artwork, graphic design, and component quality. Uh, the original was a 1,500 print run for, like, Tree Frog Games, which is the company Martin Wallace ran. This is being done by Alley Cat Games, uh, and they've done some really, really nice-looking stuff of late, so... Yeah, this is on my radar now. I'm going to keep an eye on it. I think it's running from now until, I don't know, Thursday sometime. It says 70 hours left right now if you're watching live. Sure. If you're listening to us, I think you have about a day. 
So Ooh, check okay. it out. That is uh, Tinner's Trail up on Kickstarter. Yeah, I saw this, as you mentioned, and, I, and it popped up, and I was like, oh, Martin Wallace. So I definitely have to pay attention to that. I knew that they were bringing this out because they were teasing the fact that they had a blurred photo of the game. I said, this is a Martin Wallace game. What game do you think it is that we are reprinting? And I believe no one knew. Like, nobody could figure it out. Because, again, like you said, it's a very sparse box cover for a board game of all things. So when this came out, everyone was like, oh, but they just didn't do a straight reprint, a new art. But as you mentioned, they revised the rules. They made it a lot more dynamic. You could play with a higher player count, which is great. You could play solo, which is needed right now. So there was a lot of different ways to play the game. I'm still looking at it. It seems like there's a lot on the board, which I like to see, especially when you're back in a Kickstarter game, because the games on Kickstarter are fairly expensive these days. So, yeah, it's worth a look. I'm not sure if I'm going to back it, but I'm definitely going to take another look at it before it wraps up. So, yeah, that's a good pick. All right. So, Anthony, for me, I'm taking a look at something the complete opposite. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like, really, (laughs) I don't. I don't even know how to explain this, but it's Juicy Fruits because they're going to get you. And that's probably why I stuck with this game because that commercial from all those years is still stuck in my head. But nonetheless, Juicy Fruits is a game that is being published by D-Print Games, but we will see it in the U.S. thanks to Capstone Games. It's a one-to-four player game from the co-designer of the Spielders Yars Pictures game. Okay. And basically what you're going to be doing in this game from the Pegaspiel is it's all about growing fruit on this island, having the most diverse fruit possible, and then shipping those fruits off to, to different island shores to be able to share your fruit with other places and to kind of market and uh, meet different business conditions. So basically there is a contract completion, set collection type of way here. The artwork is really cute. It's really fun. It's kind of like light to medium weight game as far as that's concerned because basically throughout the game, you're just growing fruit and you're trying to meet those conditions and trying to ship it off off seas before anything else happens. But what's really interesting about the game is in fact how you play it. So how do you play this game? Well, it comes down to like three really kind of simple systems. Basically you are going to be able to grow your fruit in these different plantation areas. And as you grow your fruit, whether it's natural or you place the fruit out there, you're going to slide that token from where it's growing off towards the shore because now you've harvested the fruit. And based upon how far you move that tile, you're going to collect that many fruit. And then you're going to supply a ship to gain more room and also be able to uh, claim businesses and score additional points based upon what the particular contract needs. So again, a light to medium weight game that's probably fun for the entire family. And again, interesting mechanism, tile placement, tile movement in the game. So it has a little bit of that kind of, not Tetris necessarily because you're not trying to lock everything in, but there is definitely a spatial element to it. So Juicy Fruits, they're gonna get you eventually from Capstone Games coming out some point later this year so check it out had not heard of this at all until you sent it over for the uh the slideshow and i was like, <laughs> yeah i'm always impressed when you get one that i'm like i don't even know what this is because you know we're both pretty plugged in to board game twitter and yeah board game geek and then something hits and i'm like no idea what this is so it sounds interesting i like this kind of game i like i and like with, these lighter games yeah, that capstone that- does 
and it's got this puzzle element, and I think that's what you're going to like about this game too, Anthony, about like, it's not just about growing the fruit and then shipping it offshore, but it's also about being able to dynamically place it so that you can maximize the fruit production, but not block yourself off from some of the other tiles. So I know you like puzzles, so I think you'd like this too. Yeah, I'm going to keep an eye out for it. All right, so that's Juicy Fruits, baby. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to get you. All right, so that's the games that we want to hit the table. Let's talk about the games that did hit the table. And we'll let you know if those games are a buy and you should run out and play those games. If those games are a play and you should sit around and play them. If those games are a dodge and you should avoid them all, of course. Or if those games are the dreaded burn and then they should be left on an island that is neither juicy or fruity. All right, Anthony, so what do you have up for us this week? All righty, so I've got... The big one, Kanban EV. Oh, no. Yeah, finally came in. <laughs> uh, this one was funny because they printed the shipping label for this on December 11th. And then it just sat there and 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 sat there for like five weeks. And they finally shipped it like the last week of January. Um, and yeah. this is this is fun because I already played this game. But this is the new pretty version of the game. And so it wasn't even like oh, I hope it comes and it'll be good and it'll be fun. Like, no, I already know I like this. I want my game. <laughs> so I don't think we ever reviewed Kanban uh, originally. We didn't really get Driver's Edition when it came out and like whatever little tweaks there were. So like you and I played the original, but yes. that was about the extent of it. That was about a year ago. So we haven't talked about this on the podcast before, but it's a Vital Lacerda game. It's one of his earlier mm -hmm. games. Um like, it, Stronghold released a version of it before all this big wave of Eagle Griffin fancy big box $130 versions came out. And so it, it kind of flew under the radar at the time. It was like a very small box considering, very thin, just a little square thing. And it's decently heavy. It's like a 4.4, right? There's a lot going on. In the game, you are running a uh, manufacturing plant for automobiles. In the original, it was just cars. Now it is electric cars. It doesn't actually change any of the mechanics of the game, mostly. There's a few really small tweaks here and there. But it's more or less, it's like 95% the same as the original. But it is, the things that they change, the things that they update are all for the better. So I'm going to run through really, really quickly how it works, because otherwise we'll be on here all night. But effectively, <laughs> what we have is... It's got toy cars! It does! I didn't, <laughs> I didn't pay for the toy cars, because they were stupid expensive. <gasps> Stupid expensive. You got wooden cars? Yeah, because they're better. They're better. <laughs> if you bought the metal cars, more power to you. I will not judge or anything. But when I looked at those, they looked like melted pieces of chocolate. There's no definition mm -hmm. on the things. And it was like $60 for 30 of them. And I was like, no way. I'm out. No, thank you. So I do have the wooden ones. And they're nice. And they're, they're all different shapes. You can kind of see here in the corner. There's five colors. And they're all different types of electric cars. So like the green one's like a little Prius. The gray one's like the Cybertruck that uh, Elon Musk showed a few years ago. Yes. The black one's like the Roadster. So it, they're all pretty unique, and they, you can tell what they are. So it's fun. But the game, getting into the game. Um, <laughs> there are five different stations, and you're going to take actions at each of them, right? So each of them has two different spots you can go, and they have a number of shifts that they're going to give you. So you go there, and you pick either the two shifts or the three shifts. But the order of play is going to be from low to high so in each station the two is going to go before the three which is important if you want to go before someone else you can also bank shifts and use those banked shifts to increase all the way up to four that's the most you can do on a turn is four and those are just action points 
That's, that's basically what they are. You're spending action points to power up what you're doing in that particular location. The different things you can do, you can pick up designs. They're little design tiles that represent those different types of cars. Some of those also have different types of parts on them. So you can upgrade that car's parts. There is the parts factory, warehouse, whatever they call it, um, where you can go and actually pick up the parts. You know, play a card, a Kanban card from your hand and kind of see the parts in there and, and then take some back. You can um, actually assemble the vehicles. So you'll go up and you'll push the cars down the slots. And if you actually get something off the assembly line, you score points for that. And then it goes over to the test track. And then you can go to the test track where you can either um, upgrade your designs or, or your parts. And that's going to give you these upgraded designs, gives you a bunch of points, also increases the value of certain types of cars throughout the rest of the game. Or you can test a car. And if you do that, you discard a design, take one of the cars off the test track, move the little car forward, and add it to your personal board. Your personal board's full of stuff. <laughs> so you have your designs you picked up, your cars you picked up. You get bonuses for each car you take, and you can choose where that's going to go. You have your upgraded designs, your tested designs. And then you have little um, speech bubbles that will you're going to want to collect throughout the rounds and when you get these, you can spend them during meetings, which are just scoring rounds, to score different cards. In the original, it had this big, complicated, like, um, boardroom thing where you'd have seats around the board table, and you had to gap capture those seats and then place them out in this limited number. And they've simplified that a lot by just keeping it all on your player board, removing that entirely, and then just representing all this with the cards. Mechanically, it's the same, but aesthetically, it's much simpler to wrap your head around. And that's the really high level of how the game works. The one other thing that's unique about this game that I always really liked, Sandra. So there's this AI character that's in the game no matter how many players you run. And it's just a meeple that goes down. She'll go from one station to the next every day. That's a round. And if, if one station's full, she'll skip that one. But when she goes there, she's going to do something so like that might be clearing out parts or replacing things or moving the pace car forward on the test track, which speeds up the game. And she's also going to grade you. So she'll look at, do you have enough parts in your warehouse? Do you have enough designs on your board? And if you don't meet that criteria, you lose points. So you'll actually lose points throughout the game multiple times. It happens less as you get towards the end of the game because you'll bank up some shifts and that'll protect you. But you can lose points a lot of times. So... You do start the game with 15 points to account for that. If you lose more than that, you're doing very poorly. So you should probably restart. <laughs> you shouldn't lose 15 points in the game. Um, but the first round, someone's probably going to lose five or six points because they'll be in last place on that certification track, which there's these little tracks that you move up to show that you know what you're doing in that division. Um, and whoever's in last place there, and it can be multiple people, they're the ones who are eligible to lose points. So it's tricky. There's a nice version of Sandra where you gain points instead. I, it might be a good way to learn the game. I don't like it as much because it takes away a lot of the tension and you don't have to worry about where you go or how you go there. Um, but I know some people do like that better and that's available as an option. So this game is fantastic, obviously. It's Vitalicerda through and through. It's got multiple systems. They all interchange with each other. You can't do any one thing on the board without also doing other things first. So you have to think three or four turns ahead, but then also have contingency plans because somebody could jump in and block something. It's just, it's a fantastic game. And it's one of those games that like you play it now and you're like, how did we all miss this? You know, six years ago or seven years ago, whenever this came out, 
you know, and move on. He played Vinos and Lisboa and Galaris, and these are, like, some of my favorite games of all time. And then Kanban, I'm like, I don't know. It just seemed too intimidating, and now I go back to it. I'm like, it's about the same in terms of weight as those games, and it's really good. I put this in the top half of his games for me. I don't think it surpasses the Galarist or Lisboa, but it might be third, uh, like, right there, you know, mm. above. And it's right, like, neck and neck with On Mars, which I really, really like, but I think this one is just a little more elegant and makes sense everything flows and make everything you're doing makes a lot of sense um in terms of the upgrades so why would you pay 120 dollars for this versus finding a secondhand copy of the old version for 40 bucks one it's beautiful you know tool artwork eagle griffin production values everything is big it's chunky it's tactile it makes sense um you know tools artwork is not only great but it makes much more sense of the board like you can look at things and it all follows and makes sense where it's going, how it's going. You can see the test track moving over. You can see the parts feeding into uh, the assembly. The original has all that, but it's a little muddied. Like it's you look at that board the first time, the original Kanban or Driver's Edition, and it's just like, what am I looking at? <laughs> There's just stuff exploding all over the board. This really cleans that up and simplifies it. The solo version in this, very good. You know, and there was solo versions as well for the other ones, but this one's you know official in the box, comes with a deck of cards, really runs you through it. Yeah, I mean it's this is an automatic buy for me. I would definitely recommend it if you had to pick, you know, a Vital Lacerda game, it goes, like I said, into that top half of that list. And it's yeah, just a fantastic game. It's <laughs> similar to last year, is already one of my favorite games of the year, coming out in January, like On Mars did last year. Um probably won't win our game of the year because it is a reprint but it is just really really good so uh, looking forward to playing it with more people in person not just on the computer or solo at my desk but you know just getting this out and playing through it um you know multiple times hopefully later this year yeah we got to play the original version of this which i liked and as you said the idea about the Talisters games that are so evocative is that they play out so thematically. It's it's not an ab as much as an abstraction as most board games are or most Euro games are, especially. So it does make sense as far as the steps are concerned. You need a design, you need the parts, you make the parts based upon the design, you you test drive the car, you develop based upon the features and things like that, and then you're able to score and make money and such based off of that particular car. And if you're doing so, Sandra's making sure that you get everything done on time, which again is very thematic for the game and a different game element than you yeah. than you see almost in any other game. I don't know if I've ever seen a game element where the AI chases you around to get your, your job done. So I, I really like that element. She's not too mean. I know there's a mean and there's a not so mean form of this anthony but i i don't find her that mean you just you have to kind of like try to circumvent the boss a little bit <laughs> as it would be yeah so, yeah, yeah the, the trick with that is, i think you're... is if you're playing with somebody for the first time maybe use the mm -hmm. nice version because what can happen sure sure is the first round she doesn't even move so nobody's gonna lose points in the first turn but the second turn <laughs> she's gonna go to the top of the board and unless you spent your entire first action training She's going to ding somebody yeah. for points, right? Someone's going to lose points. Sure. Um, and it could be like five points. Like you could be at one on the bank shift track and she hits you for one plus the four that you're 
and like you start gotcha. the game losing five points you're like this game sucks <laughs> so um that yeah. happens a lot less as you move forward it doesn't matter but it, it is something to keep sure. in mind i do love that mechanic though i wish we saw something similar in other games absolutely and again some differences here artwork a bit of gameplay the carters are different of course as you mentioned anthony this was a big box production and unlike the recent rococo you know reprint this actually deserves yeah. it and actually fits as far as the game's concerned so yeah i'm hoping to get this to table this was a game that i was looking at a long time and i'm glad to hear that this version is probably the version that you would recommend more than the other versions because as you said there's two other versions out there that are going to be cheaper, but this version is worth your money. So as the game industry continues to make multiples and multiples of reprints, like year after year, this seems to be the one where you should put your money. All right. So I want to talk about a very, very complex, heavy game, but thematically a game that I'm very familiar with as far as the theme and the tone is. This is Alma Mater. This is a game that I've been looking forward to for quite some time from Eggerspiel. And this game is all about dealing with higher education and in particular the independent university system in the 15th century. I know that has been something you've all been asking about, especially the 15th century. Yeah. And now we finally have it. Isn't that exciting? So when you look at this game at, at, as it starts off, Obviously, the first thing that's probably going to pop to you is the fact that Chris Quillam's artwork here is the game. Very much in line with what we've seen previously in his other games before that just kind of blew us away as far as like, hey, there's something extraordinary here. And it's not just the Azul artwork that we've seen before, but it's all of that kind of just really engaging, almost like cubist artwork but also a very personalized you know style to it and i'm just really excited to see this here too because again it's one of those situations where no matter how you kind of sit down to play this game it's an enjoyable you know viewing experience there's something really elegant about the look and the artwork in this game and again it really does add to the gameplay because this is going to be a very crunchy very long and somewhat complex board game at the table. So it is not, in fact, Coimbra, his other artistic masterpiece here. And obviously, this is a game mechanic game, but the artwork is what initially kind of drew me over to this game. But nonetheless, when you're playing Alma Mater, again, you're playing in the higher education system, you're dealing with independent universities. And you are here to raise the reputation of your university here. So now the game itself is complex. So I just want to kind of give you like a bit of an overview. I don't want to go into too deep of a, of a kind of like a rules kind of explanation because there is a complex mechanisms that go on here. Basically, you have your own player board. Now, what your player board does is three different things. One, it allows you to sell books. Now, as a university, and again, a very thematic gameplay situation, 
But as a university, you make a lot of your money and you make a lot of your reputation based upon the books that your university puts out through its university press. So thematically, it's really cool. On top of which, you get these really awesome plastic books as like little miniature books that you can play into the game and everyone else at the table will be able to purchase your books at a certain value. When they do purchase that, you get money, which you need because money is very tight in this game. And you also gain victory points. Now, they obviously need the books because there is a couple of different mechanisms on the main board, which I'll explain in a bit, where books are essential to this game. So beyond that kind of like money, victory point kind of collection system, there's also the main part of the board. Now, the main part of the board is going to be your student area. That's where you're going to be able to recruit students to your university, and they're going to give you special abilities throughout the game, including giving you extra action spots. Think Lorenzo Il Magnifico, where you have that green track and you have that gold track, and those generate you resources as the game goes on. Almost the same type of mechanism goes into play here, but... Again, a little more complex as far as that concerned. And finally, you're going to have masters. Masters are your meeples, and they're going to be able to do the worker placement action on the board. The board itself also has some information as far as how the game goes, the flow, so to speak. And you're also going to be able to place faculty cards, professors, on the side of your board. So the gameplay itself is, again, all about recruiting students from the quad, to your particular university, hiring faculty. Now, both of these things do require books and a lot of books, including dictionaries for some reason. So you have to show that your university has all this wondrous knowledge so that you'll be able to recruit the students and the faculty, both which give you special abilities throughout the game. Sometimes there's a one-time bonus, sometimes there's an end game bonus, but they're always gonna give you something. In addition to that, as you're ranking up with your faculty and you're ranking up with your students, you're also ranking up on a research track. Now, this is essential because your gameplay color is also going to be your book color throughout the game. So in order to kind of raise the reputation of your university, you need to raise the reputation of your publications. So as you place the students, as you place the faculty, your reputation on the research track goes up, you gain special abilities and bonus throughout the game. Think like Terra Mystica, you know, where the tracks kind of move up and you gain like little bonuses here and there. And then as they go up, your books retain or gain more value throughout the game. That's primarily it, with the one exception of the chancellors that are on the bottom of your board and you're trying to meet end game conditions in order to gain the chancellor's abilities because those are going to be what's going to score you the most points at the end of the game. Those are the kind of like special conditions. I really need to mention, and I kind of talked about this a little bit, this game is complex because there is a lot of variety in this game because while the students are going to be the same, the faculty are all different, the research bonuses are different, the chancellors are different, how you set up your board is going to be slightly different. There's just a lot of variety to this game, which is wonderful. I think they heard us talk about Coimbra and how it didn't have enough variety. This has all of the variety. And it can be, and it kind of is a little overwhelming from time to time. If you play a two-player game, you have to play with a dummy player 
because you have to have at least three books out there on the market in order to meet the conditions of the students and the faculty. That becomes fiddly throughout the game. So you do really want to play with at least three actual players. Otherwise, the game is going to add at least another half hour just doing those kind of basic conditions throughout the game. The game is good. Again, if you like Lorenzo and you love the artwork from Coimbra, which I do, this game might be an enjoyable kind of like, you know, foray into higher education, which is all about publish or perish. So while you are educating your students and working with the faculty, in the end, it's all about the research you produce in order to kind of raise the reputation of the university, at least in the 15th century here. So for alma mater, I'm going to give it a high play just because I think it's a little fiddly, a lot complex, and a little expensive for what the game is. But I think it's a highly enjoyable game, and I recommend everyone check it out. That's Alma Mater from Eggerspiel. Yeah, I was, I've had a copy of this for a little bit, and I just haven't had a chance to play it. You know, it's it's funny, like, looking at it, reading through it. I mean, obviously, knowing the designer pedigree, I'm like, I know I'll like it. But it, it was hard to, like, thematically, just, it's different enough. Uh, from Queen Bra and really most of the other Euros, that yeah. that was enough for me to jump in on it without having knowing much about it. So it's good to hear that it, it works, even if it is a little fiddly in, in the process. Yeah, like I said, I, I really do feel like they took the criticism about not having enough variety in Queenbra and just threw everything they had at this, which is good, but it then just kind of suffers a little bit with the setup right. and, and it's a little fiddly. And there's an, a draft when you start the game and if you have not played the game before, it becomes like an Agricola situation where I don't know what these cards do and which are the best cards to take based on those things. So all of the parts are very good. It's just not very smooth. It, it really is like you constantly have to refer to the rule book or the board to figure out what step you have to take now at this point, a very good game. If you have the time to invest in uh you know, a uh, university of higher education. All right, Anthony. So that's the games that were hitting our table. Hopefully they'll be hitting your table soon. And again, if you'd like to hit us up, you can hit us up on all our social media, especially patreon.com. We are bringing new episodes each and every week. And currently we are talking about our very own collections. My next episode will hopefully be up tomorrow. That will be talking about the last of my miniature game collections. So check in with me so you can find out about that collection. And we're always looking to do more stuff online on Board Game Arena and at the table. So reach out to us and let us know what you want us to talk about. All right, Anthony. So that's going to be everything for us. Let's talk about our feature review. So for our feature review this week, we are talking about our favorite failed game systems. Aw. Yeah. <laughs> this, this, this episode took a terrible downturn here. i know it's the bittersweet part of it where we're like ah oh, this game's amazing you can't you can't get it no one will play it it's no expansions <laughs> and these are not just the games that went out of print because there are a lot of yeah. games that went out of print yeah. these are the games that went down in flames <laughs> yeah so we should yeah clarifying that that's a good point we are not talking about games that themselves alone failed we're talking about overarching systems for games right so Things sure. that, and there are some in here that are individual games that were have their own system, right? So we'll talk about those. But 
in general, like lots of games go out of print, lots of games don't get picked up, or the publisher's like, meh. <laughs> so um, we could have a whole other top 10 list of that. But these are going to be, you know, bigger, longer systems. Um, again, no CCGs, because that would make the list, uh, you know, two hours long. But yeah, some interesting stuff in here. So the first one on the list uh, is, I thought this one was appropriate, because what you're going to find very shortly is that most of these are from the same company. <laughs> so uh, there are a couple of exceptions, but our friends in Minnesota at Fantasy Flight, they have a, a nasty habit of launching games, supporting them for a little while, and then they kind of just peter off. And you know, and there's different reasons for that. Netrunner, Android Netrunner, that they lost the license to that. So that's not, I'm sure they would have loved to continue with that because it's very successful, but it happens a lot. <laughs> so we'll get into a few of them. Mm -hmm. The other reason I want to put Android first is because Android by itself, or Netrunner, was it Android? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was Android. It was like the sequel to Magic the Gathering or the CCG in the 90s. So this mm -hmm. is not a CCG, it's an LCG, but the CCG in the 90s did not do well. But it was a Richard Garfield made CCG. It was like a follow up. It's like a cyberpunk version of Magic, and it you know didn't really do nearly as well as it needed to to, to keep going. And then Fantasy Flight brings mm -hmm. in Netrunner in 2012, and it shoots off the charts. People love it. There's play you know organized play everywhere. They sell a ton of it. And then about two years ago, they lost the license and it went away. So <laughs> I've had a chance to play this since it was canceled. It is very very good. It's very, very asymmetrical, and the different things you can do within each of the two factions are fantastic. The reason we put this in here as a game system, of course, is because it is an LCG, meaning they released content every month for it over the course of those six years. Sure. There was a lot. Yeah, this was a game that I was able to recently pick up at a uh, auction, and I was like, you know what? I heard such great things about this LCG, and Fantasy's Flight does the LCGs better than anyone, those living card games. And I was like, ooh, two, two kind of player powers that are radically different from each other playing against each other, two very different systems. So it's basically two games in one. And I got it, and then I heard that it was shut down, <laughs> and I still have the base game, and I'm really upset about that. <laughs> I mean, you could sell it for like 200 bucks. These things are hard to find now. So. All right, there you go. See, there's an upside to it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's the thing. Like, the older these are, the more in demand they are, uh, the more likely they are to be very yeah. expensive. This is very in demand, so very expensive. Um, and some of the expansions in particular, very pricey. Some of these, not so much. And some of these are relatively recent, so you can still find a lot of the stuff for fairly cheap. All right. So let's move on. What do you have up first next? Mm -hmm. Battle Lore 2nd Edition. So, oh, no. Let's not talk about I this. Know. So this one came out oh, no. in early 2014. I remember because I was very excited about it. And it took the Richard Borg uh, battle lore system, revised it into a second edition, as it's called, and put it in the Terranoth universe. And everything yeah. about it was fantastic. It played smoothly. The revisions and the, like, the card system was just really great. The miniatures were solid. Um, we'd been playing Rune Wars, like the, the board game. And this was just like sure. you know a two-player skirmish version of that. It was just so cool. And it launched with the humans and the demons. Uh, I don't, I don't uh -huh. know the exact names of the factions, but blue and red. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> and I think they supported it for maybe 18 months, something like that. 
yeah. they released one other faction, the undead faction. So you had the two like bad yes. factions and the one of the good factions, and like air quotes because whatever. But and they had other factions planned. So they were talking about elves. They were talking about the dwarves. They were talking about other big things they could do with it. And presumably, like all Terranoth systems, it didn't hit their sales goals, or I don't know. Maybe they're going to do something else with it. And it just kind of petered out. And Fantasy Flight doing what Fantasy Flight does, they never officially canceled it. They didn't tell anybody it was dead. They just stopped making stuff for it. And we all realized it was dead at like Christmas, I think in like 2016, when you could get everything off of their holiday sale for like $5 each. You're like, oh, we're done with this now. Okay. <laughs> I did want to point in too, because one of our listeners, Kyle, he has a custom crate that he made that has everything that ever came out for the game in it. So here's a picture of that. Oh, so you no. can see the blue, red, wow. and the purple. I also have everything, yeah. but I have it jammed into the box. It all fits barely into that big cardboard box. Um, I haven't played this game in like four years. It is in my top 100, though. I love it. It's such a shame they killed it. Yeah, this game's in my top 100, too. As I, again, we talked about Evergreen episodes. You could hear a whole episode about this if you want to jump yeah. back. This game did not have the elves. Did not have the elves. And it ruined the game because if you've ever played Rune Wars, the original, either the coffin box or the kind of revised uh, smaller box, the cube kind of box, it's a great game. It's a fantastic yeah. game. And this needed multiple factions. The fact that they really did not go all the way for it really kind of like held this game down. And I was waiting on the elves to go, oh, cool, I got all four factions. And it was like, hey, here's the box with two factions. I'm like, eh. And they're like, oh, what about undead? And I'm like, eh, elves, elves, dwarves, anything else. And then they just shut it down. I missed the initial Fantasy Flight sale. And I did pick up the base box. I did pick up one or two of the expansions, but I don't have all of them. And I'm seeking those out somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> somewhere. But, yeah, it's a shame because it's a really good game. It's a very good system. It's the Command and Colors system. So you've probably played it in Memoir 44, and you get to play out here with a fantasy element. So great. Yeah. No, I mean, I don't know what they're doing with this Battle Lore license. I think it's still sitting with Fantasy Flight. Nobody's done anything with it since then. Um, but they actually – I didn't put this up there, but they actually killed two games with this because they had the Battle for Westeros they did. before this, and they killed that early too. So, yeah. Yay. <laughs> Yeah, again, it's it's another one of these problems with a lot of these systems that are about troops on a map, that if you don't put all the different troops out almost initially, then the game just doesn't seem like it has enough content to really just live beyond the base game. And, and people are not going to invest in that, because that's a really big problem with a lot of these games, is that they are an investment, you want to get multiple people to the table, you want to have variety... Right? We just talked about Alma Mater having way too much variety. This game had way too little, so it's a shame. It's like the one game that makes me wish Fantasy Flight would do Kickstarter. Because this would be the perfect way to do yes. it. You put it on Kickstarter, you put out yeah. all, I think, six factions that are in Terranoth Universe. Yeah. Do all of them. Give everything. 500 bucks, whatever. Because that's the kind of game that goes on Kickstarter. But releasing it piecemeal over the course of three years for a miniature type game, it just didn't work. And Fantasy Flight is just known for not putting enough stuff in the base box. Yeah, the base box yeah. didn't have enough at all. Nope. All right. So that's Battle Lore. <laughs> we miss it. Um, <laughs> the kind of spiritual successor to Battle Lore that came out, I think, a year and a half or so, a year or so after Battle Lore got killed. So maybe it was the reason Battle Lore got killed. 
They might have just said, no, we don't want to do that. Let's do this instead. Um, <laughs> oh, no. Wars miniatures game. So we were at the flight report when they announced this. And mm-hmm. I remember we had a conversation that lasted maybe two hours after the show. We are like, <laughs> what are they doing? And essentially that, like, and, you know, there were some benefits to it because you got everything you needed in a core box for $100 to play a two-player skirmish war game, right? Where if you go, like... Mm-hmm warhammer from games workshop you're spending a decent amount more than that or at least you used to like they yeah. brought it down now their starter kits are around a hundred dollars now too but it's like they kept pushing out that Terranoff stuff and people just kept not caring i don't know <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah so this one's dead now too Jeez. yeah we should mention that this is a little different than your standard board game yeah. This is what we classify as a miniatures game. Now, a miniatures game is different than a board game in a lot of different ways, which we don't have time to go into. And I'm sure, again, we have evergreen episodes where we kind of covered this, but miniature games is literally just about the miniatures, and the box is full of miniatures, but there's a combat system that's all about movement and line of sight and being able to hit in certain armor types and all that kind of stuff. So it's massively expensive because they have to produce the molds. And the molds are really expensive. So if they're going to produce all these plastic miniatures, then they have to have the molds. So they were trying to do what every other company has been trying to do forever, which is try to cross that bridge into that other subset of our hobby and bring it to board gamers. And as you mentioned, they own this IP. So they would make all the money if this IP worked out. And again, it's a great IP. It's a it's a generic high fantasy IP, but they still did a really good job with Rune Wars and Battlelord Second Edition. So this kind of should have maybe made sense, but again, this is a bridge too far. Yeah. I mean, this is just you're you just don't know what you're trying to do here and board game people are not miniature people. And again, this is an IP that doesn't appeal really to anyone. Neither does the system. So I remember, like you said, we left the the flight report. We ran over to see the miniatures that they had on display. And they were like one or two. Like, again, it was like you said, everything was in that $100 box. But still, that $100 box wasn't a lot. And if you did want this, and and I recently watched a whole bunch of information on it because it was on massive clearance sale. Like, you could pick up everything for, like, I don't know, it was 200 and some odd dollars. I mean, everything. But if you're going to play this, you have to buy multiple copies of the base set. You have to buy multiple copies of all the expansions because you want to have that flexibility for an army. No. <laughs> and obviously, everyone felt the same way. And it's a shame because, again, this is something that, like, if they would have invested in more of a board game version, like Redo Rune Wars or support Balor second edition in a bigger way. They would have they would have won big. But yeah, sadly this one just kind of melted away and in particular it melted away because almost immediately, I think the following year, they came up with a new system. Right, Anthony? It was literally the next year. It was at the next flight report. It was Star Wars Legion, which is doing fine for them because it's a Star Wars miniature game, but and maybe that's what it was. They got the license from Disney and they're like Mm, yeah let's kill our own system who cares 
that must have been like awkward at the company or like hey brutal war guys how's it going they're like great we have all these miniatures we made all these things isn't it amazing like yeah yeah i'm i'm gonna need you not to do any of that anymore (laughs) could you just not come in again because i remember this was so much stuff out for this so much stuff coming out for this and the following year they're like hey star wars as a miniatures game and we were like oh that's cool and then we're like oh no (laughs) (laughs) yeah someone's department got cut like quick yeah it's a shame yeah and now they do star wars and marvel so which makes sense you have those licenses do it but um yeah and you know you might be thinking like well if miniatures games which is a hundred of those it didn't work out there are uh we're not going to dive into all those but this one in particular jumps out because of all those circumstances they took the rune wars name from a game that's been out of print for years and they won't bring back they took the miniatures and the some of the model types from battle lore which they won't bring back and they're like mm-hmm. this and it just didn't work so yeah and and these miniature games, as I mentioned, very expensive with the moles. They took a huge financial hit. And so did Simon when they did the Song of Ice and Fire miniature games. Took a huge financial hit. Because, again, this is not really even a game you play at home. This is a game you play at an organized game event. And they did not have any of that structure in place for this. They could barely do X-Wing miniatures. And they brought this out and expected stores to, to run it? Come on. These – come on. Yeah, and this all yeah. coincided with a Games Workshop, you know, kind of going through the renaissance that they've gone through in the last three years, where they're like, oh, we're going to be more gamer-friendly, and we're going to bring our prices down, and we're going to release board <laughs> games, and the result is they're making a bunch more money, and people are playing more yeah. Warhammer, and games like this struggle, so. Yeah. What are you going to do? <laughs> all right. Jeez. Uh, all right, so next up, uh, again, sorry, Fantasy Flight, we're just going to keep hitting this train. Um, <laughs> they know what they did they know what they did so this this is imperial assault which is a game right but this is a whole so a whole game system there are several games that use this system there's descent second edition there's doom which they release and never release an expansion for i don't believe they're all more or less dead in the water at this point they've kind of taken some of the mechanics from them like the lord of the rings journeys of middle earth uses a little bit from that descent system um, there's the new Descent coming out next year, but we don't even know if that's going to fully utilize those mechanics, and it's going to cost so much money, there's no way that succeeds. <laughs> I'm calling it now. It's going to fail. Imperial Assault actually had a lot of content. I think they released stuff for it for three full years, and I have all of it. I love it. It's fantastic. But they stopped updating the information into the app, so they, they did release a few bits of content into the app uh, for like the first two expansion cycles, I think, and then they stopped. And then they had some other stuff that had been rumored, and then they stopped with that. And in general right now, we're not really getting any Star Wars content other than, like, Legion from Fantasy Flight, despite The Mandalorian being out there, despite, you know, all these recent movies. They didn't really do anything with any of those. And it's weird. I find it weird. I know people are a little bit of Star Wars burnout, but it's still Star Wars, right? It's still Star Wars. And again, this is another game system that was built on the Descent game system, which was, again, almost identical to this, which is not a bad thing. And again, this was, again, they had Descent. That was their own system. They came out with Star Wars. They kind of killed Descent. Now they're bringing Descent out again as a billion-dollar gigantic cube that has supposedly some, if not all, of the game inside of it. So... 
I'm sure that also led to Imperial Assault kind of just getting pushed aside, which is a shame because this was something, this was Star Wars in a box. <laughs> I mean, beyond the smaller kind of games that we've seen previously, this was Star Wars in a box. You had all the different miniatures, you had all the different characters, you had all the heroes, you could play one versus many and such, and in skirmish mode or, you know, campaign mode, it really had a lot of different things to it. And again, they just kind of like cut off their nose to spite their face kind of situation. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. And it was another one of those situations, like we talked about Battlelore and, and the others, but it just kind of petered out, you know? They didn't announce it's it was done. They didn't end cap nope. it. They didn't say, this is the end of the cycle. And there was other systems <laughs> rumored, and it just kind of stopped coming out with announcements. And we kind of just all assumed, as the fans of the game, we're like, I guess it's done? Because these things usually have a cycle to them, like, Every three to four months, mm-hmm. another set of stuff would come out. And, like, the last set of stuff was from the Star Wars Rebels cartoon, which was a good show, yes. but it's a weird way to end this game, right? Because <laughs> you had, like, the Rogue One. You could have done stuff with that movie. There was so much stuff you could have drawn from, from, and they just didn't. They're just like, nah, we're done. And probably because of Star Wars That's Legion. Same thing that we saw with Rune Wars. All right. Uh, next stop, another Fantasy ah. Flight game. <laughs> I'm telling you, it was like we were brainstorming, and we this is what we came up with. Um, Discover Lands Unknown, but not specifically this game, which is bad. It's a bad game. I, ha- I got it. I played it. I really didn't like it at all. So they made a really big mm-hmm. deal out of this unique game system, right? Um, <laughs> and the whole idea, and there was this and Keyforge. They were both announced at the same time. And sure. the idea was that the game would be produced algorithmically, to reduce production time, like they had a whole chart, and at the same time increase variability. So every copy of Discover Lands Unknown was unique. Every box you bought had a different game inside. It came with different tiles and different things, whatever. The result of this was a very generic game. <laughs> like mm. some people like it, but it's telling that you can get it for ten dollars now, right? It's it's really yes. Really cheap. Um, and we've not seen another unique game system game since. It's been two and a half years, and I'm pretty sure this system is dead at this point because this, I'm assuming, didn't do very well. Keyforge did very well, mm-hmm. but that's a Richard Garfield card game. That's I don't know if that has to do with the yeah. unique part or the fact that it's a Richard Garfield card game. Yeah, this was another game that had a lot of promise, and they promoted the heck out of this. They got everyone to play this, and then it was kind of a odd, bland disappointing game and i think they could have saved it if they produced a second game in the series Mm -hmm. and for whatever reason they just like cut their losses almost immediately and this game went to discount almost immediately again coming out with another game might have saved it and just like continued the series and just really grown because again they had a, a really good distribution model for this and really a good idea but inevitably for whatever reason it may be it just was a generic to bad game and they never tried to follow it up which is a shame because there have been other unique game series where the first game is kind of a flop but they come right back and give you a better version once they get feedback and this they just never did this they were just like one and done yeah i love the idea like i wanted it to work yeah no it's great and i still think it could work but you need, a, you need a studio as big as Fantasy Flight that can afford to build something like this. Because this isn't just a game you're yeah. building. You're building a computer system to support it. There's an algorithm behind this. And yeah. I don't know that many companies have that anymore. So if Asmodee doesn't want to do it, 
I don't think anybody else is going to do sure. it. Um, and Keyforge, which hopefully we don't have to add to this list because I love it, uh, but the pandemic has been rough on really any of those games that you play with other people in person. True. All right. So another company, uh, Battlestar Galactica <laughs> Starship Battles. Uh, this was Ares Games, and they launched this not that long ago. And they actually had new content scheduled to come out very soon, but they rather abruptly lost the license. So this was only like a month or two ago. Like they released the press release and they're like, hey, we tried and we lost the license and effective immediately this line is done and we're not going to release any of the content that's in the in the hopper. And people are like, what? <laughs> Obviously, we don't know what happened behind the scenes to for that abrupt of a change. If it was like the rights holders mm -hmm. were like, have big plans for it or they're, they want to sell it to a different company or maybe or if they weren't happy i don't really know because we didn't neither one of us played this but it was it was a bit of a thing <laughs> so aries games is really well known for the flight path system so if you played star wars x-wing miniatures star star trek attack wing dungeons and dragons attack wing i mean there's and obviously all the flight systems with the biplanes and and such like that World War One, World War Two, kind of stuff. They're just known as the people who do the flight pass system. If you ever go to a convention and you want to see the flight pass system in play, where these you know planes or spaceships or stuff like that are flying around, Ares is the one that kind of originated it and, and produces it. So when they came out with Battlestar Galactica, you were like, oh, yeah. okay, because again, they know their stuff. This is perfect for them. They didn't have a space flight system. Now they did. And Battlestar Galactica came off a great series. And they were supposed to... I, I believe there's some other elements here where the... I think it's the, you know, the X-axis where ships were able to kind of tilt and move up and down. There was, some, there was other aspects to this, more complex aspects to it. And as you mentioned, Anthony, it did have other content coming out for it. And unfortunately, because of everything that worked out... They're going to just have to throw it on the internet for people who want it because they've already developed it, which is kind of good of them, but it's really overall very sad. This was another unfortunate situation, which we see with a lot of these miniature games, which is they start producing stuff for it. It's very expensive for them to produce it, and they need everyone to buy on almost initially. You know, like everyone has to get in on the ground floor because if they don't, they don't get the money and they don't feel confident supporting the stuff. But honestly, I've never played any of these games that I felt like, ooh, the base box is so amazing. You need to play the game because of the base right. box. Like, it's always those odd expansions, like those really rare ships that really gets you involved. Not the generic ships that come with the base yeah. box. You want the oddities. Odd, The odder, the better, right? Like, you know, it's that that really kind of brings the game to the table because I'm sure... There's been a game that's always had the kind of the basic game system and ships before. So, yeah, no, this is really a, a sad one to see. Again, maybe this will find light somewhere else, but I don't know. I don't know. Those flight systems are not doing too well, especially with friendly game stores disappearing all over the place. So we may never see another flight pad system again just because it's not going to get the organized play anywhere. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean... X-Wing will always sell because it's Star Wars and it's X-Wing. But even then, like, they've rebooted that thing at least once now. And it's been going yeah. for, what, eight years? So 
who knows how much longer we're getting that one. Yeah, and when you have to change a system like that, that just shows there's major problems, right. and that's a, that's a shame. Yeah, yeah, I know. Like, I've never played any of these competitively. I know you have with Star Trek, but I have a lot of Star Wars. Like, and I think that's why they made so much money with that is because a lot of people just collect them. Like, I have them, and the way I justify it is my kids will be old enough to play this eventually, so I'll just buy the ones I like. And so I have, like, a Millennium Falcon here, like, off screen, just the Millennium Falcon model, because it's a nice little model, and it's cool to have on my shelf. Mm -hmm. But I've never used it as a game piece, so I think a lot of people might be Yeah, and that's... Those. Yeah, the only way that they make their money is off the IP and the nostalgia kind of thing, right. and the X-Wing miniature games had the best paint jobs yeah. and the best miniatures. Yeah. You know, only Star Trek now is like, hey, maybe we should have done a decent job. Here's some new ships that are <laughs> painted better. And I'm like, yeah. So, yeah. Like, I got all the ugly stuff. <laughs> 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 all right. So, just a little bit more here. Um, this one's not canceled at all, but we were just, this is what got us started on this topic is the Funkoverse strategy <laughs> game. And you sent me a message about that. We know. Of. Yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> we couldn't find anything about it. But you sent me a message that these were going for five bucks on GameStop, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so funny little coincidence about game systems that fail, about game stores that fail. GameStop obviously is huge in the news. Obviously, all the thing about going on with stocks and how people are shorting the stock in order to make money off the stock and how it's killing companies. Well, Funkoverse has been a kind of light skirmish game based on this kind of really cutesy, chibi models there is batman there is harry potter there's the nightmare before christmas there's the golden girls there's rick and morty and then there's a couple of oddities throughout the kind of system so basically all you do is you run around and you knock people around but these systems are very expensive because basically what you're getting is like kind of high quality toys anytime you get, you get a game with high quality toys even for a company like funko who produces these things like they're it's still a very expensive system you do get a very you get a lot within the box the production everything is like top notch so for these to be started getting dumped at like super discount prices not just from gamestop but from amazon and other places too again gives us to feel like all the other systems we talked about where the days are numbered possibly for this because again this is another system with numerous characters that of course you can play home but you really do want to play with people who enjoy the variety of all the different characters out there so we might see an end to this just like we might see an end to gamestop and it might just be because people are just not supporting it as well as they probably could and again it just might be based upon the system of all these different systems that we talked about today because each of them are high quality they're complex but they require everyone to jump in on the base level with no knowledge or expectation if there's going to be other expansions or organized gameplay or if they're going to even see table time because they're too light or too complex. Maybe, again, as you said, Anthony, if these games were all Kickstarter games and everything was out there like they did with Marvel United, this might have made all the monies. But as it is... You can pick up any of these games at discounts if you can find them or if they're so out of print, extraordinarily high prices for those collectors out there that are trying to hold on to their cherished collections. All right, Anthony. So that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. 
and we'll save you all a seat at the table. Take care, everyone.
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.